This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Most of us have little first-hand knowledge of war. We're not forced to face war, fight in a war, flee from war. We don't get tortured, see our homes and schools collapse, lose relatives and friends to war, spend months locked up in basements. When we do get involved, we go to war or get sent to war. War does not come to us. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to the morning break with Graham Stanley. That quotation was from the introduction to a book of poems called From Words for War, New Poems from Ukraine, published in 2017 and edited by Oksana Maximchuk and Max Rosochinsky. Today is Tuesday the 29th of March 2022 and three years after that book was published, the headlines of the newspapers are full of articles about war in Ukraine. Events have quickly escalated and become a tragedy that has moved the world. I've been wondering what I personally could do, if anything, as a response to this war. I believe educators have an important role to play in society that can be beneficial in trying times such as these. And young people in particular, I think, need help to navigate what's happening, especially with the proliferation of fake news and propaganda on social media. Then apart from the horror of war that those in Ukraine are living through, the unbelievable, saddening, terrifying events uh, can cause real distress, I think, to those living many miles away from the conflict zone. I'll also be looking at what others have suggested teachers can do to help their students with this. The main focus of the show, though, the impulse for it, is a new collection of poems that a group of international educators were moved to contribute to, put together by Alan Maley, educator, author, and poet. And this will soon be published as an e-book to raise funds for Ukrainian refugees. Last Saturday, I was able to speak to Alan about the project, and he also kindly encouraged the contributors to send me readings of their poems, which I'll be sharing today as well. What is it that moves people to write poetry as a response to armed conflict? Well, in the introduction to the new Oxford Book of War Poetry, John Stallworthy reminds us that Wordsworth described poetry as the spontaneous overflow of powerful feelings. He states, there can be no area of human experience that has generated a wider range of powerful feelings than war. And that whereas most love poems have been in favour of love, much and most recent war poetry particularly has been implicitly, if not explicitly, anti-war. If you're listening in live and would like to join us today, then please download the Podbean app onto your mobile. Visit ttradio.org and click on Listen Live on the homepage. And this should take you directly into the show. And I can see we already have a few people joining me today already, so that's great. Right, now it is time for the Teacher Talk Radio News. 
This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Colin's Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure that Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. Introducing Autism Aspirational Futures, a virtual SEN conference for parents and carers. Do you work with parents or carers of students with autism? If so, this free virtual conference from Witherslack Group can support them and you. Providing inspiring talks from leading experts, offering practical advice on supporting children and young people with autism and associated needs. This very special event will take place during Autism Acceptance Week and is sure to be an enjoyable occasion for everyone wanting to develop their knowledge, understanding and celebrate their children's amazing superpowers. Don't miss out! Register for free at witherslackgroup.co.uk today. With a Slack Group, the leading provider of schools and children's homes for children with special educational needs. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In England, schools will have to open for no less than 32.5 hours per week from September. At the moment, the head teacher with the governing body decides the length of the school day in England and 14% of schools will be affected. Nadim Sahawi, the Education Secretary, also wants to encourage multi-academy trusts. He said, The evidence is clear that a family of schools that is really tightly managed, really well supported, especially through Covid, has delivered better educational outcomes for children. So strong, and I underline strong, multi-academy trusts is the infrastructure we need to complete and deliver. According to The Sun, figures show that 75% of schools had days that met the average length of between 6 hours 15 minutes and 6 hours 35 minutes. Kevin Courtney of the National Educational Union said schools and pupils 
had been left battered and bruised by the pandemic and a more sophisticated approach was needed. Paul Whiteman of the Head Teachers Union, the NAHT, said simply adding five or ten minutes to a day is unlikely to bring much, if any, benefit. Gillian Mackay, a Lanarkshire MSP, is calling on North Lanarkshire Council to write off the remaining £28,011 that remains outstanding for school dinners. Most of that money is an outstanding debt owed for children at primary school, despite all P1 to P5 across Scotland now being entitled to free school meals. Ms Mackay said, Children can't get a good education if they're hungry at school. I believe that North Lanarkshire Council rightly ensures every pupil has a meal at lunchtime, even if they don't have the money to cover it. But these figures make it clear that debts are being chased from families who simply can't pay. With the cost of living crisis putting huge pressure on family finances, this is the right time to write off all outstanding school meal debt. Pursuing the debt is causing stress and embarrassment for pupils and their families. But I know that staff are deeply uncomfortable asking pupils for money they know the family does not have. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to talk VPN. For those of you thinking, why is Steve talking about an underwear fashion faux pas? A VPN is a virtual private network, and knowing a little bit about them might make you realise you actually need one. What is it? Well, in a nutshell, a VPN changes how internet data is transmitted from a device. It allows the user to be more hidden. I know what you're thinking. I'm no cyber criminal. Why do I want to conceal my data? Well, let's look at three things a VPN can do for you. I'm going to use a phone as an example, but all of these can be applied to any device you can put on the internet. Do you use public networks? A public network may be the Wi-Fi on the bus or train, a local coffee shop or fast food restaurant, any connection that isn't your home. Transmitting data on these networks can potentially allow your data to be intercepted by third parties. Having a VPN allows you to encrypt your data from your device rather than depending on the network you're connecting to. So, when surfing the web while enjoying a burger and fries, you can be confident if you're being intercepted, the data will be useless to the interceptor. The next is shopping online. When connecting to an online shop, some stores use your location and unique device ID to target you. If you're returning to look at a product, the likelihood is you're going to buy it. Knowing this, some stores use clever algorithms to increase the price to maximize their profit. With a VPN, you can mask this data so the price you see is the initial price. The third is some streaming services are blocked by internet providers or unavailable from outside of certain countries. If you're using a VPN, you can choose where to set your location to allow you to see the content you wish to stream. I've not looked at individual providers. Some are free, some are paid for. If you're unsure, find a friend who's using one, ask them about it, and use the same one as them to begin with. Then you get free tech support. Make sure you know the terms of service. You don't want the VPN you're using keeping your data, as that would defeat the object in the first place. 
As always, don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. Tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome back. Now, at the weekend, I had the pleasure of talking to Alan Maley about the new collection poetry he's, putting, he's been putting together, um, and that will soon be available as an ebook um, to collect uh, money for Ukrainian refugees. The poems in The Pity of War, The Poetry is in the Pity, are reflections by poets from around the world on the invasion of, the, of, of Ukraine by Russia. And I started by asking Alan what moved him to embark on this project? Obviously, like uh, so many other people, I mean, I was feeling such a complex range of, of emotions about the, the situation in Ukraine. Rage, compassion, revulsion, pity, impotence, fear, confusion, incomprehension, apprehension, <laughs> despair, and all of these things. So I wrote to um, quite a number of my professional and personal friends saying, you know, depending on where you are in the world, you're probably already taking action through cash donations or collecting and dispatching um, medical and other supplies or demonstrating for peace or putting pressure on your government to welcome refugees and all of these practical things that people can do. But I want to suggest something which would show our solidarity with Ukrainian people and indeed with Russian people too, because they're suffering the consequence of actions that they had no part in initiating. So I proposed that people should send me poems, original poems that they had written and poems that they had found other people's poems, even poems in other languages. So there we go. And so now we have four files, in fact. One is original poems. The second one is published poems by established authors. The third one is poems in other languages. And the fourth one are teaching resources, links. So there are four of them. And what we are doing now is we're focusing on file one, which is the original poems, and we're turning that into an ebook. We have 49 contributors to that file coming from 22 countries. Some of them are published poets, people like Michael Swan, Victoria Field, and so on. And others are complete novices. They've never written a poem before. So, the, you know, the quality is what it is. But um, I've tried not to in interfere too much. There's about 80 pages of it, which is amazing, considering it's only about a week since I la launched the idea. And in addition to that, I've added um, a section of activities for those people who are teachers. Although I, I'd like to just read what I wrote about these activities, because I yeah. think it's important. Yeah. Um, you know, these are very simple activities that teachers might like to try with some of the poems in the ebook. Some of them might seem very, very basic, very simple. But I think we should remember that simple activities are often the ones that work best. Definitely. You know, it ain't what you, it ain't what you do it's the way that you do it yeah and that matters and the one thing that i would really emphasize is you know we should always remember that the text the poems are more important than any activities 
that we may devise. You know, these texts were not written as language teaching materials. They originated in a powerful need to communicate deeply felt thoughts and emotions in response to a humanitarian disaster. So it's important yeah. we don't trivialize them. That's that's my message. For the, that, that there are these activities should people wish to use them. Okay, so we've had, you know, lots of interest and um, uh, I can read a couple of, my, of the poems that I wrote because I know that other people have contributed. And one is called Lessons of War. Lessons of War. In the course on war, for complete beginners, the first lesson teaches in war, there are no winners. What may first look like victory soon tastes like defeat when conquering territory leaves only dust to eat the conqueror's instant rapture soon fades when they fail to capture the souls of the defeated and find their own souls depleted so everyone loses when it comes to war it's really difficult to see what war could conceivably be for the second one is called Song of the Refugee. Song of the Refugee. I am homeless. I am jobless. I am helpless. I'm landless. I am stateless. I am penniless. I am wifeless. I am childless. I am joyless. My fate is endless unless okay so thank you do? yes of course that was wonderful okay yeah, thanks so i mean what we're now uh waiting for is for my my friend nick to um to format the e-publication and then that will be available for people to to buy online and all the um, proceeds from the sales will go to funds for um uh, ukrainian refugee support that's great so, that's a really a really good thing to do i mean um, the thing is that you know i mean writing poetry you know is seems like a pretty kind of feeble response but actually you know poetry matters i believe i think literature reaches parts that other media don't reach you yeah. know we see we're we're undergoing a tsunami of media treatment of this crisis and in the end people get kind of anesthetized almost by it you know that it's a almost turns into slogans and i think literally goes farther than that you know it gets it gets deeper inside you and i i made a reminded people of a quote by william carlos williams and this is it it is difficult to get the news from poems yet men die miserably every day for lack of what is found there and I think that's profoundly true. Yes. So, yeah, there we go. Yeah. Definitely. The value of poetry as a response to war shapes how societies feel about war. And it lasts longer. The news is ephemeral. It disappears. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're still reading Wilfred Owen. Exactly. A hundred years later, you know, yeah. just over a hundred years later. And it's and no more you know it's it, it's just as powerful now as it was then yeah and i think although from what i can tell a lot of teachers are using 
media, news reports, etc. Things on they find on social media, which makes sense with students and trying to discover are, are these authentic, are they fake, etc. But I think I think it's really interesting what you're doing, as in making poems available for teachers, because it it's another way of being able to use in the classroom resources that are far more sort of personal responses to what is in the news and what is happening in Ukraine at the moment. And it gives the opportunity for exploring feelings, I think, and emotional responses that you, you don't get through news articles, etc. I think it's far oh, more. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, I have absolutely nothing against people using, you know, media clips and so on. I mean, yeah. it's it's important, but it's not everything. And I think this is something that goes a bit deeper. Definitely. And yeah, and is more memorable. Yes. In the end, yes. you forget about the, the video clip, but you don't forget a poem that hits you between the eyes, you know? Oh, certainly. This radio show obviously is is to draw people's attention to the collection. And, um, you know, I will, when it's available, I'll put a link to yeah. where people can buy it. So sure. when people... Okay, thank you. Most Thank people. I'll, let, I'll send you that as soon as I get it. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing is, I'm hoping that any teachers who would like to use the poems with their students, well, they could use the recordings or the readings as well as mm. an option for them. Because I think it's, yeah. I've read the poems in the collection, but actually listening to the poets, reading them out is very moving. And oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it adds it adds a dimension to to the whole thing actually. To hear the the, the person who wrote the thing reading it, yeah, you know, is is very powerful actually. I think definitely. Yeah. So I would like to encourage all of the teachers who are listening to this uh, to buy the collection and you know to consider using it with students as a way of understanding what's going on and as a way of developing, helping the students develop a, an emotional response to to this. And, and also, if if they want to use the recordings, the readings, that would be great as well. So I think that might yeah, that, add that sounds, that sounds absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, well, thank you very much. Thank nice you, Alan. Nice. And uh, one wonderful. Um, it's a wonderful venture that you've started. Uh, and, Good. Thank uh, you. Well, I'm, hope... I'm very encouraged by it, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I hope and I think it will reach uh, a lot of people. And yeah, if I can be a small you. part of that, then I'm very, very happy to help. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Alan Maley talking about a new collection of poetry compiled as a reaction to the invasion of Ukraine. And you'll be hearing more of the actual poems later in the show. But first, I'd like to speak about the response from educators to the invasion in general. So in Education Week, there's an article uh, about Catherine Green, a history teacher in Southern California, who was using the invasion of Ukraine to enhance her students' media literacy skills. They come to her with questions. What does the invasion mean for the United States? Are they going to be drafted? Is this going to become World War III? They come with videos, misinformation, conspiracy theories. She works hard to address their fears, answer their questions, and help them sort truth from lies. They examine the videos the students come across to verify their authenticity. A one-air strike video purporting to be from the conflict was shown to be footage from a video game, for example. And they look at stories in the media and review them together. She shares her lessons on Twitter at missgreen.edu. 
supporting other teachers and helping them to do the same to help teach lessons on misinformation and media literacy. And apart from this, Green also gives them time and a chance to process their thoughts and feelings. What about teachers in Ukraine? I found a few articles about educators teaching in the midst of war. The first in today.com was published on the 15th of March. And it was about the resilience of some teachers in the country, despite at least 59 schools being completely destroyed and 379 damaged by the ongoing invasion. The article features interviews with teachers from a high school in Siotomir that was completely destroyed earlier this month. Olena, a literature teacher, says she's going to stay. I cannot serve in the army, but I can teach students, she says. Now, educators across the world have come together in solidarity to condemn the invasion, including those in Russia. Uh, shortly after the invasion began, a Russian teacher friend of mine who owns a school messaged me to say the following. I'm writing just to let people of the world know how things are in Russia with me and my friends. We don't write on Facebook as it's been blocked for some time and tomorrow will be banned. We still don't know what it means. Some lawyers say that you might go to prison just if you keep using it. Anyway, one can't say or write anything about the war. Fifteen years of imprisonment is the punishment. We went to the meetings. Luckily, we were not arrested. Those who were were humiliated, tortured with electric shock and beaten by the police. Also, I, constantly, I constantly get threats and wishes to be dead, both from the Ukrainians and those who support Putin. And there are lots of them. Thousands of my friends and me had to leave Russia. I packed my life and my kids' lives into four suitcases and left. 8,000 people have moved to Kazakhstan, 25,000 to Georgia. But unlike Ukrainian refugees, we won't get any support as we are the aggressors. Our cards are blocked. We don't have access to our banks or PayPal accounts and internet tools to come working online. We can't live on our country and we're not welcome anywhere else. The funny thing is that all the sanctions introduced mainly affect those people who are against the war and have been trying to do something to stop it. Most of Putin's supporters have never been abroad or even talked to a person from another country. They don't have international business and international partners. They will accept propaganda saying that their economic difficulties are the result of Western enemies. I don't know why I'm writing this. I just feel like I have to say it and ask you to spread the word. And I don't want my name to be mentioned as I don't want to get into any trouble. I still have employees in Russia and I have to be free and healthy to be able to pay them and help them survive in this hell. So that's an interesting take from the other side of things uh, that I wanted to share with you. But let's continue now with the first of the three readings by the poets featured in the collection that I have for you today. In this one, you will hear poems read and written by George Jacobs and Roshni Nagaria, teachers in Singapore, followed by Sana Khan, who has worked with children in Dubai and has recently moved to Lahore. Jah Ya Karan Mukundan's poem is next. He was a secondary school teacher for 12 years and now retired, he writes children's picture books. Next up is a poem by Harisimiran Singh, a retired Indian army officer, now freelance teacher. Then we have Marjorie Rosenberg, originally from the US. Marjorie's taught 
in Austria for over 40 years and published widely. Educators Jill and Charles Hadfield's poems can be heard next, and they live in New Zealand and are educators who have written more than 40 books between them. And the final poet in this first set of readings is Jane Spiro, Professor of Education at Oxford Brookes University in the UK. And Jane has published collections of poems, stories, learner literature and a novel, and has run a poetry circle for writers in her home for 20 years. One final word about the readings. I've incorporated soundscapes from daily life in Ukraine, recorded before the war, to emphasise what has now been lost to the people there. And these recordings are all in the public domain and can be found on the Internet Audio Archive at archive.org and at Radio Apori at apori.org. Let's hope that everyday life there can soon return to the normality reflected in these recordings. Hi, my name is George Jacobs. Me and Roshini Nagaria wrote this poem, Pax X. We're both teachers here in Singapore, and we hope the poem gives people some faith that, yeah, lots of bad stuff is happening, but sometimes we might be surprised by the good that can arise from the bad. Here's the poem. When bad threatens and arises, good often appears and surprises. When greed rears its consuming head, generosity may find ways to spread. When anger vehemently lashes out, kindness can find the courage to shout. When bullies convene and bullies attack, compassion could be mirrored back. When cowardice is known and expected, bravery instead can be selected. When seeds of hope we seek and spot, let us not utter words of cannot. When we unite to nourish the seeds, we together meet people's needs. When we post and stream hopeful news, we trust our fellows with power to choose. When we join hands in another's parade, we offer to them our support and aid. When we challenge pain, hurt, and sorrow, we sow and nurture good for tomorrow. With these shared words, perhaps we can see even an axe can morph into a tree. What If It Were You by Sana S. Imagine your home, the comfort of your bed, wherein you lay and dream of life ahead. A quaint TV room with a couch or two, a small little bookshelf and wallpapers blue. And one day they say, pack a small case, nothing too big, and just leave this place. There is going to be war. There will be blood. Best you leave now before the men in arms flood. But this is my home, my heart and my soul. I love it here, please. Do not make me go. My children are small and they go to school. We all have friends here. Please don't be so cruel. The bombs begin to fall. 
the sounds break you down. And then finally you are forced, forced to leave town. Your hearts are heavy and there isn't a thing you can do. You leave your life behind and just push through. Jets fly overhead. Their screams pierce your soul. Your heart bleeds tears, your chest a gaping hole. Your children beg to go home. What do you tell them? They cry for their beds amidst all the mayhem. The nearest border is shut. They don't want you in. They shove you down. For you, we are not open. You beg and you cry. Your words fall on deaf ears. Is there anyone, anyone out there who can see our plight in tears? Yemen and Nigeria and Palestine too. Now Ukraine has been added to the growing countries of war queue. The world bleeds and it cries at the amount of injustices done. But these fools in power just seem to be having fun. I entreat you, my Lord, for all I have is you. Humans have lost all humanity. Now what are we to do? This stage set for one big bad madman. All the world's a stage for this man to strut and browbeat. Oh, that lasting lusty heat, that spotlight that endlessly shines on this emperor without clothes. Whose war? Whose war is this? Was it a long time coming? What's the provocation? Do you think it's unbecoming? Who can broker a peace? Military think tanks debate from the comfort of homes, but the guns do not cease. War is an instrument of policy, some say, from far away. But in the war zone, shells scream and pound, rip, wreck and roar to pummel and gore. Am I my brother's keeper? They plead from behind the barrel of a smoking howitzer. No, so help us, Lord, to sheathe the sword. Memories of Kyiv. Winding streets with onion-shaped church spires, golden domes rising to the sky, buildings in white and green and turquoise, arches welcoming worshippers. Crowded streets with people in cars, high-rise buildings housing thousands, street markets and people stopping to look, restaurants offering food from the region. A synagogue hidden behind an outside facade, pallets and prayer books lying on benches, a box to collect money for the needy, the tree of life painted on the wall. A monument to a horrific slaughter, a monument to the motherland, a monument to a grand prince, a city as a monument to its people. Days spent with eager learners, days spent with new friends, days spent learning together, Days now of sending prayers. Jill Hadfield. This is a poem inspired by the pictures in the news of the pushchairs left outside stations in Poland for Ukrainian mothers fleeing the war. It's called Children of War. 
Outside the Polish station, a line of empty pushchairs waiting to be filled. At the bombed-out hospital, all the waiting pushchairs that never will be filled. Charlie Hadfield. Here's a very short haiku. After a, a month of this horrible war, I still find myself speechless. Not again. The horror of war. Each generation forgets what their parents learned. A Lost Spell for Ukraine by Jane Spiro Silver doves and rainbow showers and branches of the olive clear the skies and still the bombs and turn the guns to flowers. Turn back the clocks, rebuild the walls, restore the children to their beds. Unite the fathers left behind with mothers shielding babies' heads and white poppies fall. Silver doves and rainbow showers and branches of the olive clear the skies and still the bombs and turn the guns to flowers. Let galleries reopen and the theatre curtain call and the only cries the tawny pipit, the calandra lark. Let the cities remake their spires and domes and roofs and sunflowers alone light up the dark and white poppies fall. Silver doves and rainbow showers and branches of the olive clear the skies and still the bombs and turn the guns to flowers. Make large those lives live lovingly and small. Return piece by piece their scattered homes. Give power to those that love and feel and care. And turn the bullets that burst from men like stone. So white poppies fall. That was the first of three selections from the forthcoming book of poems by teachers compiled and edited by Alan Bailey. The book is entitled The Pity of War, The Poetries and the Pity, Reflections on the Invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Before playing the second selection of poems, I'd like to talk a little bit about poetry as a response to war and how you can use war poems with students. In his foreword to the book, Alan Maley writes, literature is unique in its capacity to evoke deeper reactions to what is happening. At its best, literature can touch deeper and more complex chords. Now, poetry written as a response to war has a long tradition. The editors from, of, from Words to War, New Poems from Ukraine, published in 2017, remind us that War kills, and this changes experiences that are essential to us as social beings, building connections, making friends. But also, war causes other, more insidious types of harm to human relations. War is rarely the focal point. More often, war causes a sort of semiotic ripple, transforming the page into something different than it appears at first glance. More precisely, not just something different, but something additional to what the page offers initially. Poems in the new collection can be used by teachers to help students. Poems offer a number of different responses to the invasion, including anger and frustration, sorrow and despair. Another article, this time in theconversation.com, discussed the effects of constant exposure of images and information showing the devastation due to the invasion. This kind of exposure can lead to heightened stress and anxiety in both adults and young people. 
In such times, a classroom can provide a safe space for students to express their fears and concerns. The article goes on to suggest educators need to be aware of the emotional impact these events may have on students. Special care and attention should be paid to those students who may have family members in the region and those who may have lived through war or who have family in other active conflict zones. You may share these concerns, but I think it's important to be able to talk about what's happening with students. Discussion of global issues can help students develop empathy and understanding of people in other circumstances and from other parts of the world whose experiences can be very different to theirs. If you do use these poems with students or incorporate what is happening in Ukraine into your classes in another way, it's worth keeping in mind the following. That lessons should be targeted to the age, of course, and context of the students. And as mentioned previously, um, this uh, this should be dealt with um, in a sensitive way, as sensitive as possible. So let's continue now with the second selection of poems read by the authors. Three poets are featured here, along with Ukrainian soundscapes taken from times of peace. The first featured writer is Sue Leather. Sue is a writer and educator from the UK who now lives in Vancouver, Canada. And uh, she said she has seen the human cost of war firsthand working countries of the former Yugoslavia in the 1990s. And Sue writes fiction and creative nonfiction and was moved to write the poem at Lviv railway station after watching images on the news at the beginning of the war in Ukraine. Our next poet is Mark Andrews, and after doing a degree in Eastern European studies, Mark has spent his whole adult life teaching and teacher training in universities in the German Democratic Republic, Czechoslovakia, the Czech Republic and Hungary. After visiting schools and universities in Ukraine twice, he felt he would like to contribute to the collection. Sharon Sonny is a writer and teacher whose work includes creative research and early childhood learning disabilities. She lived and worked in the United States for over a decade before relocating to India. And she strongly deplores and decries war as it destroys and strips human lives of dignity. And she especially worries for the children of war who remain deeply scarred and suffer long-term trauma. Hello everybody, my name is Sue Leather and I wrote a poem for this collection called At Lviv Railway Station. When Alan Maley contacted me about writing something for this collection about the war in Ukraine, I knew that I had to, to do something because I was very moved by the, uh, the things that I was seeing on my TV screen. I usually write prose. Uh, I don't write poetry at all, um, but um, I knew at the same time that uh, I wanted to write something and I knew exactly what I wanted to write about because I had been particularly moved by the scenes at Lviv railway station 
as uh, men were saying goodbye to their families. The men were staying in Ukraine to fight and their wives and children were leaving on trains to go to other countries uh, to take refuge. And this is what I decided to write about. So my poem is called At Lviv Railway Station. The camera lingers cruelly on the man now, his face struggling not to dissolve as he looks at his children's faces pressed against the grimy train window, as he holds back tears, as he holds close hope. Don't worry, he mouths to his wife. Don't worry, my dear, I will be safe. And now, knowing that you will be safe, I can do my job. I love you. The world of yesterday is a dream now, a dream when he read to his daughter, played football with his boy, when he bought a new alarm clock and ate potato pancakes. Today, here at this loneliest of places, we see stamped on his face a kind of shock, a blunt incomprehension. We read the questions he has right there on his face. We know them, for they are ours too. Will you be safe? When will I see you again? And then the one he dares not think of. Will I see you again? I have never seen war close up, but they say there is heroism in it. Great feats of courage, unselfish acts. The general leading his men to glory, the common soldier risking his life to save a friend. But it is the scene at Lviv railway station that affects me most now. It is this most human of tableau, as the camera lingers on the distress of a man, a man we do not know, but is our brother, our husband, our father, our cousin, our friend. A man who holds our common humanity etched on his face. Waving to daddy, my nose squashed up to the glass, leaving with mummy. How far will we fall, Sharoon Sunny? As we write poems and sit under protected cover, Ukraine continues to suffer. Millions remain displaced by a tyrant who is entirely deranged. Young Ukrainian men bid farewell to raise arms and remain bold-faced, knowing all too well that this will not end well. My pain is small, my anguish like a dying bird's call compared to the people who fall. Words find no meaning. Sharoon Sunny, mortar, muzzle, magazine, platoon, private, pill pusher. No grammar translation here, no communicative competence explained. Universal grammar is lost. Odd are the words, real are the truths. English language teaching never saw this coming. 
Trainer at a loss, words find no meaning. Monuments crumble, rubble of memories, the past erased, a future buried. The present hangs on the tyrant's harangue. Sometimes. Sometimes words fail those that give them life. A poet invites them, begs them for help. They remain silent, preferring the darkness of the unknown to the darkness of the world that awaits. Sometimes adults fail those that should be unharmed. A lonely child with a bag of rags and death walks silently across the Polish border, tears not for itself, but for the hand that will never calm its broken heart. Sometimes the powerful fail those that rely on their calculations. A brave tween pointing a gun at an Iskander missile, protecting the life they have already lost. But maybe their younger siblings have a shot at school leaving exam. Sometimes the righteous fail those that they claim to protect. A mother with 20-hour journey to a life unknown silently accepts a lecture about the wrongs of decisions she has not even made to make someone feel good about their ideals. Sometimes a person with a kind heart thinks they failed those in need. A citizen of a safe country, far from the cries of war, desperately looks for more and more ways to ease the suffering, feeling that all the leaps they make are for nothing. Sometimes we overcome this vicious circle of failure. A stranger coming to pick up a family to a safe house, offered by another stranger who felt it was the right thing to do, is worth more than all the riches of the world. Always there is a chance to help others stop failing humanity. Every help given towards a vision of a father that hugs a child, not a gun. Humming a song while brewing coffee and frying eggs for his family in Mariupol, smiling at the morning sunlight, not caring about Putin's and Cyril's cauldron in hell. Dear friend, dear friend, take my hand. I've already prepared water, bread and a bed where you can lay your head. Come your heart, come your mind, on a peaceful land, Poland. Prayer. Around us nothing, nothing but dead silence and the color of black. Mighty God, we beg you, bring the peace back. Sylvia Zaborzakowska. And those last two poets you heard were Sylvia Zaborska and Daniel Starsky. Sylvia has been teaching English and art for more than 20 years now. She specializes in developing creativity, especially in young and very young learners. 
And Daniel Starsky was born and raised in Warsaw, Poland, and has worked in ELT since 2003. So now let's turn to the last and final set of readings from the poets featured in the collection. Dat Bao from Vietnam is first, and Dat is a lecturer in teacher education at Monash University, Australia, and he's editor of the Journal of Silent Studies and Education. Then it's Jim Scrivener, author of several English language teaching books, the best known learning teaching, and he's worked for many years around the world as a teacher and trainer, including three years in the Soviet Union. Jim is followed by Vivian Vermis. Vivian is a writer and actor who's lived in Paris for 40 years. She's published five collections of poetry and a novel. Andrew Wright is our final poet um, of this reading. Then Andrew has worked with teachers and methodology and with children as a storyteller in 55 countries. And Andrew went to the Slade School of Fine Art and has continued to work as a story writer and an illustrator all his life. He delights in the living qualities of the language we use every day and he's horrified by the deranged slaughter of innocent people by Putin. From war to peace, I had a dream last night. Putin died of COVID-19 as his heart attack was inflicted by the escalation of his warfare act. Gunfire ceased. Half of Russia cried mourning. The other half were relieved cheering. The world quieted down, adoring the end of war. Then many came out, filling streets with triumphant roar. The concentrated power in the hand of one person has two sides, good and bad. When the bad side leaves the world with him, the good side brings peace. Suddenly I woke up to the sound of convoluted news on TV. Information continues to mix up, depicting how gunfire increases. Reality gives me the creeps as my ears are deafened by death nails. Ukraine continues to weep. The world is beholding hell. I must now go back to sleep. And in this dream, found the assassin me, killing Putin myself. Meaningless. Ukrainian children cry. Mama, what's going on? Fight work, honey. Go back to sleep. Ukrainian mother cries. Daughter-in-law, where's my son? At the border front, mom, and he must come back. Russian wife cries. Officer, where's my husband? Serving the country, madam. He wouldn't die for nothing. Soldiers cries. Comrade Kamisha, I'm wounded. It's all right, you're not alone. See, all your friends are nearly dead. How meaningless this war is, making more graves and tombs where like thou the wretches led by the incompetent to kill the innocents and be forgotten by the ungrateful president.
Let me list your mistakes. You thought this was a primary school with a black hole through its heart, but you are so wrong. It is a limited military operation, and the seven-year-old playing football is a dead Nazi human shield with a black hole through her heart. You thought this was a protected evacuation route with singed craters littering the stones. How could you be so wrong? It is an enemy minefield, disguised as a path, and those old women with nylon bags are agents of disinformation, their singed craters littering the stones. You thought I was your wealthy friend, with shared visions of glorious futures, but you have been quite wrong. I am the one you didn't watch carefully enough, who only wants back what's justly his, and would never hurt his own people, who unanimously sing praises to this glorious unfolding future. Well, our troops in Kiev now, how many? None yet, sir. Is the comedian dead? No, sir. Where's the attack column now, then? Stuck, sir. Stuck in Ukrainian mud. Have you tried killing some children? Yes, sir. Have you tried shelling their homes? That, too. Have you bombed every escape route? They are red, sir. Red with their innocent blood. Then shoot at a nuclear target. Tried it. Turn off all water and light. We have. Drown all their babies in cesspits. We did. Their tiny souls cry now in hell. Here are the nuclear launch codes, sir. Hit Washington, Paris and Seoul. We did. And am I now ruler of all lands? You are, sir. You do it so well. What man is this stands in reflection? It's you, sir. And why does he grin like wet clay? You're pleased, sir. He finally got all that he wanted? Indeed, sir. But who shall he tell? Why do you call me with this nonsense? Why do you call me with this nonsense? Mum, there's fuselage in our kitchen, three helmets covered with snow in the lane. Dead Russian boys. Nonsense. Look, Mum, where has the bridge gone? Where is Ksenia's apartment? And where is she? Don't lie to me, it's fake, I know. Listen, that sound is Putin dropping shells on us. It's why our bed is in the underground, and your grandson bandaged. They're using you, bombing themselves. Nazis, you've been fooled. We tried to leave. They mined the path, blew up the bus, so we stayed. The apartment burst around us. Mariska is dead. Mariska? Who I used to pick mushrooms with? Mariska? Nonsense. I'll say goodbye. We might not speak again, Mum. Give my love to Dad. Please, don't believe the TV or papers. Why do you call me with this nonsense? Somewhere in a factory. Somewhere in a factory, far, not far away, someone not so unlike us worked their working day. Somewhere in a country like so unlike ours, someone who has children 
worked on this missile for hours. Someone with a home like this earned her daily bread, tuning this thing to fly so straight, straight at our heads. Somewhere someone hummed a tune, who'd consider genocide? But the work they did, they worked so well, that both of my children died. And three other families in our block with a black scar through each bed, laugh no more at midnight threats, all pointlessly dead. While somewhere in a factory, far not far away, someone not so unlike us works their working day. Somewhere in a country, awake and not awake, someone who still has children has a bright new missile to make. I wrote this piece on March the 8th, imagining what it would be like to be a baby born in Mariupol in the midst of war. The next day a maternity ward was hit during a bomb attack, and fact followed fiction. Mariupol, Ukraine, March 2022. The bombing of a maternity hospital. I am on the brink of my birth. Frightening this journey from the floating dark into the bright light of being. While I was forming, my mother talked to me. I was a part of her, yet her voice was a part, a soothing hum. Later, I will know that her words spoke of a world where women smoothed between folds, stitched up lives when the fabric was torn. She told of summer dances in village squares of the sea smell of rock pools, of smooth skin and rough sand, of the yellow blast of sunflowers, of the unending miracle of father and mother and ancestors, and the filaments that linked them all through the ages to reach me. And in me, small as I am, the strands of all their beings would stretch out to the stars. I am on the brink of being born, Someone will slap me into sound, and my eyes barely open will be dazzled by new light. This does not happen. The darkness thickens, a flash of light, some huge inhuman noise, then sudden, total black. My soul rises like smoke. It spirals to a place of mist. Here, past, present and future, float like limpid dancers, in this embryo of space. I can see my mother's future face. She is crying and laying flowers on the ground beside a stone. It says, Alina Galichsky, born 9th of March, 2022, died 9th of March, 2022, Mariupol, Ukraine. Andrew Wright, the suffering and the savage. They come, they bomb, they refuel, they come back and bomb. Find a safe place where the shuttered glass won't hit your back 
or your stomach. The dust settled. I saw an unexploded bomb, a dead woman and her boot lying on the ground. Half the house had gone. My mother had gone. I didn't go. I don't know why. Pacing and hissing beyond the rubble. I want it. I'll get it. It's Russia's. It's mine. So that brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you to everyone for listening and a very special thank you to Alan Maley and all of the poets who contributed to the collection featured on today's show. And I will be adding a link to the recording of of the show um, to uh, tell people where they can get hold of the ebook once it's available. Uh, thanks also to Apparee.org, the Internet Archive for the soundscapes and the recordings. And I have one uh, final poem for you before we leave. It's by John Rowe and features music from Not Saints, who for this recording are Krista Banks and Christopher Green. Knocking at our door Children Grandmothers Mothers Young women Let them in Let them in Knocking At our door
Was today's final poem by John Rowe with the original music produced in a three-day workshop at Darsham Countryside Centre used with permission by Not Saints, the UK's only sober recovery record label and events company dedicated to those seeking a life free from drug and alcohol addiction. And you can find out more at www.notsaints.co.uk. So remember, there are Teachers Talk radio shows all week, and I think the next show will be with Lucy Neuberger at 6pm GMT. Join me again next week at the same time. Thank you very much, everyone. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.